Hello, and welcome to Family Folktales from the Nashville Public Library. I'm Susan Poulter, a librarian at the Main Library. Today's story is The Story of Ali Koja, Merchant of Baghdad. This is part 13 of our stories from The Arabian Nights Entertainments, selected and edited by Andrew Lang. The Story of Ali Koja, Merchant of Baghdad In the reign of Harun al-Rashid, there lived in Baghdad a merchant named Ali Koja, who, having neither wife nor child, contented himself with the modest profits produced by his trade. He had spent some years quite happily in the house his father had left him, when three nights running, he dreamed that an old man had appeared to him and reproached him for having neglected the duty of a good Muslim in delaying so long his pilgrimage to Mecca. Ali Kojo was much troubled by this dream, as he was unwilling to give up his shop and lose all his customers. He had shut his eyes for some time to the necessity of performing this pilgrimage, and tried to atone to his conscience by an extra number of good works. But the dream seemed to him a direct warning, and he resolved to put the journey off no longer. The first thing he did was to sell his furniture and the wares he had in his shop, only reserving to himself such goods as he might trade with on the road. The shop itself he sold also, and easily found a tenant for his private house. The only matter he could not settle satisfactorily was the safe custody of a thousand pieces of gold which he wished to leave behind him. After some thought, Ali Koja hit upon a plan which seemed a safe one. He took a large vase, and, placing the money in the bottom of it, filled up the rest with olives. After corking the vase tightly down, he carried it to one of his friends, a merchant like himself, and said to him, My brother, you have probably heard that I am starting with a caravan in a few days for Mecca. I have come to ask whether you would do me the favor to keep this vase of olives for me till I come back. The merchant replied readily, Look, this is the key of my shop. Take it and put the vase wherever you like. I promise that you shall find it in the same place on your return. A few days later, Ali Koja mounted the camel that he had laden with merchandise, joined the caravan, and arrived in due time at Mecca. Like the other pilgrims, he visited the sacred mosque, and after all his religious duties were performed, he set out his goods to the best advantage, hoping to gain some customers among the passers-by. Very soon two merchants stopped before the pile, and when they had turned it over, one said to the other, If this man was wise, he would take these things to Cairo, where he would get a much better price than he is likely to do here. Ali Koja heard the words and lost no time in following the advice. He packed up his wares, and instead of returning to Baghdad, joined a caravan that was going to Cairo. The results of the journey gladdened his heart. He sold off everything almost directly, and bought a stock of Egyptian curiosities which he intended selling at Damascus. But as the caravan with which he would have to travel would not be starting for another six weeks, he took advantage of the delay to visit the pyramids and some of the cities along the banks of the Nile. Now, the attractions of Damascus so fascinated the worthy Ali 
that he could hardly tear himself away. But at length he remembered that he had a home in Baghdad, meaning to return by way of Aleppo, and after he had crossed the Euphrates to follow the course of the Tigris. But when he reached Mosul, Ali had made such friends with some Persian merchants that they persuaded him to accompany them to their native land, and even as far as India. And so it came to pass that seven years had slipped by since he had left Baghdad. And during all that time, the friend with whom he had left the vase of olives had never once thought of him or of it. In fact, it was only a month before Ali Koja's actual return that the affair came into his head at all, owing to his wife's remarking one day that it was a long time since she had eaten any olives and would like some. That reminds me, said her husband, that before Ali Koja went to Mecca seven years ago, he left a vase of olives in my care. But really, by this time he must be dead, and there is no reason we should not eat the olives if we like. Give me a light, and I will fetch them and see how they taste. My husband, answered the wife, beware, I pray, of your doing anything so base. Supposing seven years have passed without news of Ali Koja, he need not be dead for all that, and may come back any day. How shameful it would be to have to confess that you had betrayed your trust and broken the seal of the vase. Pay no attention to my idle words. I really have no desire for olives now, and probably after all this while they're no longer good. I have a presentiment that Ali Koja will return, and what will he think of you? Give it up, I entreat. The merchant, however, refused to listen to her advice sensible though it was. He took a light and a dish and went into his shop. If you will be so obstinate, said his wife, I cannot help it, but do not blame me if it turns out ill. When the merchant opened the vase, he found the topmost olives were rotten, and in order to see if the under ones were in better condition, he shook some out into the dish. As they fell out, a few of the gold pieces fell out too. The sight of the money roused all the merchant's greed. He looked into the vase and saw that all the bottom was filled with gold. He then replaced the olives and returned to his wife. My wife, he said as he entered the room, you were quite right. The olives are rotten, and I have recorked the vase so well that Ali Koja will never know it has been touched. You would have done better to believe me, replied the wife. I trust that no harm will come of it. These words made no more impression on the merchant than the others had done, and he spent the whole night in wondering how he could manage to keep the gold if Ali Koja should come back and claim his vase. Very early next morning he went out and bought fresh new olives. He then threw away the old ones, took out the gold and hid it, and filled up the vase with the olives he had bought. This done, he recorked the vase and put it in the same place where it had been left by Ali Koja. A month later, Ali Koja re-entered Baghdad, and as his house was still let, he went to an inn. And the following day, he set out to see his friend the merchant, who received him with open arms and many expressions of surprise. After a few moments given to inquiries, Ali Koja begged the merchant to hand him over the vase that he had taken care of for so long. Oh, certainly, said he. I'm only glad if I could be of use to you in the matter. 
Here is the key to my shop. You'll find the vase in the place where you left it. Ali Koja fetched his vase and carried it to his room at the inn where he opened it. He thrust down his hand, but could feel no money. Still persuaded it must be there. So he got some plates and vessels from his traveling kit and emptied out the olives. To no purpose. The gold was not there. The poor man was dumb with horror. Then, lifting up his hands, he exclaimed, Can my old friend really have committed such a crime? In great haste, he went back to the house of the merchant. My friend, he cried, you will be astonished to see me again. But I can find nowhere in this vase a thousand pieces of gold that I placed in the bottom under the olives. Perhaps you may have taken a loan of them for your business purposes. If that is so, you are most welcome. I will only ask you to give me a receipt, and you can pay the money at your leisure. The merchant, who had expected something of the sort, had his reply all ready. Ali Koja, he said, when you brought me the vase of olives, did I ever touch it? I gave you the key of my shop, and you put it yourself where you liked. And did you not find it in exactly the same spot and in the same state? If you placed any gold in it, it must be there still. I know nothing about that. You only told me there were olives. You can believe me or not, but I have not laid a finger on that vase. Ali Koja still tried every means to persuade the merchant to admit the truth. I love peace, he said, and shall deeply regret having to resort to harsh measures. Once more, think of your reputation. I shall be in despair if you oblige me to call in the aid of the law. Ali Koja, answered the merchant, you allow that it was a vase of olives you placed in my charge. You fetched it and removed it yourself, and now you tell me it contained a thousand pieces of gold and that I must restore them to you. Did you ever say anything about them before? Why, I did not even know that the vase had olives in it. You never showed them to me. I wonder you've not demanded pearls or diamonds. Retire, I pray you, lest a crowd should gather in front of my shop. By this time, not only the casual passers-by, but also the neighboring merchants were standing around, listening to the dispute and trying every now and then to smooth matters between them. But at the merchant's last words, Ali Koja resolved to lay the case of the quarrel before them and told them the whole story. They heard him to the end and inquired of the merchant what he had to say. The accused man admitted that he had kept Ali Koja's vase in his shop, but he denied having touched it, and swore that as to what it contained, he only knew what Ali Koja had told him, and called them all to witness the insult that had been put upon him. You have brought it on yourself, said Ali Koja, taking him by the arm, and as you appeal to the law, the law you shall have. Let us see if you will dare to repeat your story before the Qadi. Now, as a good Muslim, the merchant was forbidden to refuse this choice of a judge, so he accepted the test and said to Ali Koja, Very well, I should like nothing better. We shall soon see which of us is in the right. So the two men presented themselves before the Qadi, and Ali Koja again repeated his tale. The Qadi asked what witnesses he had. Ali Koja replied that he had not taken this precaution, as he had considered the man his friend 
and up to that time, had always found him honest. The merchant on his side stuck to his story and offered to swear solemnly that not only had he never stolen the thousand gold pieces, but that he did not even know they were there. The Qadi allowed him to take the oath and pronounced him innocent. Ali Koja, furious at having to suffer such a loss, protested against the verdict, declaring that he would appeal to the caliph Harun al-Rashid himself. But the Qadi paid no attention to his threats and was quite satisfied that he had done what was right. Judgment being given, the merchant returned home triumphant, and Ali Koja went back to his inn to draw up a petition to the caliph. The next morning he placed himself on the road along which the caliph must pass after midday prayer, and stretched out his petition to the officer who walked before the caliph, whose duty it was to collect such things, and on entering the palace to hand them to his master. There Harun al-Rashid studied them carefully. Knowing this custom, Ali Koja followed the caliph into the public hall of the palace and waited the result. After some time, the officer appeared and told him that the caliph had read his petition and had appointed an hour the next morning to give him audience. He then inquired the merchant's address so that he might be summoned to attend also. That very evening, the caliph, with his grand vizier Jafar and Mesrur, chief of the eunuchs, all three disguised as was their habit, went out to take a stroll through the town. Going down one street, the caliph's attention was attracted by a noise, and looking through a door which opened into a court, he perceived ten or twelve children playing in the moonlight. He hid himself in a dark corner and watched them. Let us play at being the cadi, said the brightest and quickest of them all. I will be the cadi. Bring before me Ali Koja and the merchant who robbed him of a thousand pieces of gold. The boy's words recalled to the caliph the petition he had read that morning and he waited with interest to see what the children would do. The proposal was hailed with joy by the other children, who had heard a great deal of talk about the matter, and they quickly settled the part each one was to play. The Qadi took his seat gravely, and an officer introduced first Ali Koja, the plaintiff, and then the merchant who was the defendant. Ali Koja made a low bow and pleaded his cause point by point concluding by imploring the Qadi not to inflict on him such a heavy loss. The Qadi, having heard his case, turned to the merchant and inquired why he had not repaid Ali Koja the sum in question. The false merchant repeated the reasons that the real merchant had given to the Qadi of Baghdad, and also offered to swear that he had told the truth. "'Stop a moment,' said the little Qadi. "'Before we come to oaths, I should like to examine the vase with the olives.' Ali Koja, he added, have you got the vase with you? And finding he had not, the Qadi continued, go and get it, and bring it to me. So Ali Koja disappeared for an instant, and then pretended to lay a vase at the feet of the Qadi, declaring it was his vase, which he had given to the accused for safe custody. And in order to be quite correct, the Qadi asked the merchant if he recognized it as the same vase. By his silence, the merchant admitted the fact, and the Qadi then commanded to have the vase opened. Ali Koja made a movement as if he was taking off the lid, and the little Qadi on his part made a pretense of peering into the vase. What beautiful olives, he said. 
I should like to taste one. And pretending to put one in his mouth, he added, they are really excellent. But, he went on, it seems to me odd that the olives seven years old should be as good as that. Send for some dealers in olives, and let us hear what they say. Two children were presented to him as olive merchants, and the Kadi addressed them. Tell me, he said, how long can olives be kept so as to be pleasant eating? My lord, replied the merchants, however much care is taken to preserve them, they never last beyond the third year. They lose both taste and color and are only fit to be thrown away. If that is so, answered the little Kadi, examine this vase and tell me how long the olives have been in it. The olive merchants pretended to examine the olives and taste them, then reported to the Kadi that they were fresh and good. You are mistaken, said he. Ali Koja declares he put them in that vase seven years ago. My lord, returned the olive merchants, we can assure you that the olives are those of the present year. And if you consult all the merchants in Baghdad, you will not find one to give a contrary opinion. The accused merchant opened his mouth as if to protest, but the Kadi gave him no time. Be silent, he said. You are a thief. Take him away and hang him. So the game ended, the children clapping their hands in applause and leading the criminal away to be hanged. Harun al-Rashid was lost in astonishment at the wisdom of the child, who had given so wise a verdict on the case, which he himself was to hear on the morrow. Is there any other verdict possible? he asked the grand vizier, who was as much impressed as himself. I can imagine no better judgment. If the circumstances are really such as we have heard, replied the grand vizier, it seems to me your highness could only follow the example of this boy in the method of reasoning and also in your conclusions. Then take careful note of this house, said the caliph, and bring me the boy tomorrow so that the affair may be tried by him in my presence. Summon also the Kadi to learn his duty from the mouth of a child. Bid Ali Koja to bring his vase of olives and see that two dealers in olives are present. So saying, the caliph returned to the palace. The next morning early, the grand vizier went back to the house where they had seen the children playing and asked for the mistress and her children. Three boys appeared and the Grand Vizier inquired which had represented the Kadi in their game of the previous evening. The eldest and tallest, changing color, confessed that it was he, and to his mother's great alarm the Grand Vizier said that he had strict orders to bring him into the presence of the Caliph. "'Does he want to take my son from me?' cried the poor woman, but the Grand Vizier hastened to calm her by assuring her that she should have the boy again in an hour, and she would be quite satisfied when she knew the reason of the summons. So she dressed the boy in his best clothes, and the two left the house. When the Grand Vizier presented the child to the Caliph, he was a little awed and confused, and the Caliph proceeded to explain why he had sent for him. Approach, my son, he said kindly. I think it was you who judged the case of Ali Koja and the merchant last night. I overheard you by chance and was very pleased with the way you conducted it. Today you will see the real Ali Koja and the real merchant. Seat yourself at once next to me. The caliph being seated on his throne with the boy next to him, the parties to the suit were ushered in. 
One by one, they prostrated themselves and touched the carpet at the foot of the throne with their foreheads. When they rose up, the caliph said, Now speak. This child will give you justice, and if more should be wanted, I will see to it myself. Ali Koja and the merchant pleaded one after the other. But when the merchant offered to swear the same oath he had taken before the Qadi, he was stopped by the child, who said that before this was done he must first see the vase of olives. At these words Ali Koja presented the vase to the caliph and uncovered it. The caliph took one of the olives, tasted it, and ordered the expert merchants to do the same. They pronounced the olives good and fresh that year. The boy informed them that Ali Koja declared it was seven years since he had placed them in the vase, to which they returned the same answer as the children had done. The accused merchant saw by this time that his condemnation was certain and tried to allege something in his defense. The boy had too much sense to order him to be hanged, and looked at the caliph, saying, Commander of the Faithful, this is not a game now. It is for your highness to condemn him to death, and not for me. Then the caliph, convinced that the man was a thief, bade them take him away and hang him, which was done, but not before he had confessed his guilt and the place in which he had hidden Ali Koja's money. The caliph ordered the Qadi to learn how to deal out justice from the mouth of a child, and sent the boy home, with a purse containing a hundred pieces of gold as a mark of his favor. That was Part 13 of The Arabian Nights Entertainments, selected and edited by Andrew Lang. Special thanks to Ginger Sands for our theme music. You can find more of Ginger's music at iTunes or on her website at www.gingersands.com. And if you'd like to comment on today's story, send me an email. I can be reached at susan.polter, that's P-O-U-L-T-E-R, at nashville.gov. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.